0: Hi everyone, Tig here. I wanted to open the show today with a message I got from a listener named Ruthie. Ruthie writes, do you do shout outs to healthcare workers? If so, please say hi to Vanessa Guiteras as she is at the front line in Jersey and is a big fan of yours. Vanessa is an extremely hardworking woman with a big heart. This would mean a lot to her. Thank you, Ruthie, for writing in, and thank you, Vanessa Guterres. And while I'm thanking you personally, I'd also like to send a special thank you to all the healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, therapists, COVID testers, ambulance drivers, pharmacists, all of you. The list goes on and on and on. There are so many people devoting their life And risking their life to help strangers. It's incredible. It's touching. And thank you all from the bottom of my heart. It's just, it's an extraordinarily difficult time for your professions. And we know that and appreciate it. So, so we're all extraordinarily grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now on with the show.
1: I'm not sure if you're aware, but hashtag hot TIG was trending after my appearance in Army <laughs> of the Dead this year.
2: Did you like this hashtag trending? Um, what did you feel when you first heard about this?
1: I was very surprised. And people <sighs> were just saying, oh, my gosh, I thought you were dead. I'm so glad you're okay. Sexy <laughs> TIG. And, and I was like, what? <laughs> I was so confused. Um I didn't think that my appearance in this movie was going to make any sort of attention. Um, certainly not for being sexy. I liked
2: it when you wore the glasses. <laughs> see, I brought my TIG glasses. Oh wow, along. Uh,
1: you have uh, sunglasses just like mine. Those look good on you. Did you see Army of the Dead?
2: I did, and I did and you? I, yeah, the hashtag thing did not surprise me at all. I even I even got the glasses.
1: <laughs> you wear them well. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, the least trusted name in advice. We have a very special guest with us today. He's an Emmy-winning CNN chief medical correspondent, neurosurgeon, and professor, Sanjay Gupta. Thanks for joining me for the show today.
2: I am uh a Really honored to be here. I've been looking forward to this for some time. I told you that last time we spoke, I meant it, and I've been uh, very, very uh, excitedly waiting.
1: Yeah, I have thank too, you. and we, um, we made it happen. You have a very <laughs> professional mic setup.
2: Well, thank you for noticing.
1: I mean, last time I saw you, you were in a, a closet it seemed like a broom closet with not nearly the setup going on. What are you in a high rise in New York with a professional mic?
2: I'm in my hotel room here in New York. But yes, it is a professional uh-huh. mic. And I'm, uh-huh. I'm proud of it because I brought it to the hotel. I, I, I thought about this. I thought I'm doing this thing with Tig. I want it to sound as good as possible because <laughs> I love Tig. So I carried this thing and it's not light. It's even got the space on it.
1: Oh, my God. And
2: then I got this my, is all for me. All for you. <laughs> And then I got stopped by TSA because they're like, "What is that?" And I had to point out. And then, you know, don't be embarrassed. I dropped your name, and all is good. Here I am uh, <laughs> doing doing this podcast with you.
1: <laughs> I can't believe that um, that TSA uh, that you're kidding. I'm I'm certain you're kidding.
2: No, no, I, I told Come on, them I'm
1: TSA di- knew me.
2: Yeah, TSA knew you. And I told them I was doing your podcast and I had this uh I had this this mic for that reason. So it was it was good. I mean, you know, I, I think you're not the type to probably drop your own name. So others have to do it for you. So I did it, and uh you should know it worked.
1: This is one of those moments where I I feel like, wow, I've I guess I've made it because TSA just um I feel like I, I walk through there and they're just like Come on, next, move it, move it. You know, I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm on their radar.
2: They're definitely like that, but I don't think they really look maybe. And I think that, Mm -hmm. um, so you have a, you have a distinctive name. Um, So we ended up, I ended up having a conversation because that person, I do, I do have a distinctive name, but I will tell you that in my, uh, my home country of 1.2 billion people, it's fairly common, Sanjay Gupta. Mm. It's not quite John Smith. Um, maybe more like, uh, Tom Jones, you know, I don't oh, okay. know. So it's fairly common, but Tig Notaro, it's, uh, distinctive and, and right away gets people's attention. They know that name.
1: Well, it's good to know. I, um, I wanted to ask you, um, you've reported on and helped treat people during the U.S. invasion of Iraq and Hurricane Katrina, the Haiti earthquake in 2010, and of mm. course, as a voice of medical truth in the early days of COVID. Thank you. What has been the toughest assignment in your career so far? Hmm. And is it this podcast?
2: <laughs> no, definitely not this podcast. This is, this is the good <laughs> stuff. This is, um, these are sort of the treats, I think, that one gets from... Doing the other work, being able to talk to you. But you know, I think, I do think about the tough stories a lot and it's, it's tough to sometimes mm-hmm. determine that because, um, there's a lot of real hardship. You know, I think you see around the world, if you're covering conflicts and natural disasters, I think the hardest for me, uh, was really probably covering the famine in Somalia. This is back mm-hmm. in 2011 and there had been a few famines. We flew into Kenya and then we crossed over the border into Somalia. And it was a famine. I mean, a real famine, Tig. And people use that yeah. word, but you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who are starving. And it's hard to see. And, you know, I think about my kids. I think about kids like Handsome Max and Handsome Finn. And, and I think to myself, yes. um, we gotta, if we can't get that right, like feeding children, then, uh, I don't know how we tackle the big problems. We can't feed children, you know, and people starve to death. That's really probably the hardest story. That one is the one that I thought about the most afterwards. I wrote a lot about it. I journaled about it. I know that's a very long answer to your question, but that was probably the hardest. Well, no, I,
1: think. I can't even imagine what I—I I don't know how you could walk away from that and not be haunted by it.
2: Yeah, but also I think that. I think one in five, one in six children go to bed every night in the United States, food insecure, meaning they're not sure when or if they will get their next meal. Um, You know, we spend three and a half trillion dollars on healthcare. We're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Um, Just how could that be? And at the same time, 40 percent of our food goes to waste, either in the fields, on the docks, in supermarkets or in people's homes. That seems like a solvable problem to me.
1: I feel like Obviously, we're nowhere near solving this issue, but it feels like people are becoming more aware of that. And there's these different organizations and apps that go to grocery stores and restaurants that would be planning on throwing this food away. Yeah. And these people have come up with these incredible ideas of how to get the food to people that need it. One app I was reading about is called Food Rescue Hero. It's an app that has rescued millions of pounds of food and you can actually download it and volunteer to help rescue food.
2: Yeah. They've made a lot of progress. I mean, there was a law in the books for some time, as you may know, and it sort of changed first in France that would not allow public organizations to give away food.
0: Because yeah,
2: yeah. there was a concern, you know, if there was food contamination or spoilage or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, they've been able be to be a lawsuit. Yeah. And they've been able to get rid Uh of some of the overly obstructionist regulation around that. So it's getting better. Mm -hmm. And you're right, there's a lot more awareness of it. But even someone like myself, a reporter, I did not realize how significant the problem was until, you know, 10, 15 years ago here in the United States.
1: You know, COVID is such an example of how much bureaucracy has gone away during the pandemic. You know, even when you see people, restaurants setting up tables and chairs in the street just to right. keep a business open. Whereas before there was just insane regulation. And and then when people are at the dire ends of every part of their lives, then the bureaucracy seems to kind of disappear.
2: People push to those limits. I mean, you know, I, I think... You don't have time to go through the red tape. You know, people are in need and you want to be able to yeah. service them. It's challenging, but you're right. It does really narrow your focus, I think, in terms of what mm-hmm. needs to be done.
1: And the, uh, the COVID situation, it seems to be always changing daily. Um, what advice would you give to people who want to be safe right now and are also eager to return to their regular day-to-day activities?
2: I would say, first of all, it's very possible. What we need to do is, you know, we we want to get people vaccinated because that's our best shot at getting a lot of people immunity. And these are really good vaccines. Even if you are subsequently infected, the chance that you'll get sick or severely sick is much reduced. I think most people realize that by now. But the thing I would add to that, Tig, is that we talk about wearing masks at the same time right? And people's like, well, I don't understand why, well, you know, wear masks, and vaccinated, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's so much virus circulating through the United States that we're essentially being showered with virus. Now, if you're vaccinated, the chance that, you know, that shower of virus is going to break through and make you severely ill again is very low, but it's not zero. And the more virus that there's out there, the higher the chances become. But also the virus starts to, the more it spreads, the more it mutates, So if you're just getting a lot of virus out there in the form of this shower of virus, you're going to induce more mutations, more people are going to get sick, especially the unvaccinated and so on. I read a study that said if the United States for three to four weeks, if everybody just when they went out in public wore a high filtration mask, we'd probably bring viral transmission down to containment mode to the point where we could actually get our arms around it. Three to four weeks of high filtration masking in public. So those are the two things vaccination. And at least for now, until we bring viral transmission down, uh, being diligent about the, you know, a good quality mask whenever you go out in public.
1: Yeah. Um, I told you I'm filming a a movie in New Orleans right now. And when I'm off from the movie, I've been going over to see my family in Mississippi. And uh, I was just at my cousin's house this morning and I told him that I was going to be talking to you and he was very excited and he's the mayor of our town. And he said, oh, "Oh, man, Tig, will you tell Dr. Gupta to just tell the people of Mississippi to please get vaccinated? So how about that?
2: (laughs) Please get vaccinated. Please do it. There's not many times in our lives where we get to, like, celebrate a triumph of medical science, mm-hmm. where we really get to celebrate that. People didn't know if we'd have a vaccine at all by this point. And even if we had one, we didn't know how well it would work. I mean, I was mm-hmm. one of those people who said, look, they typically take at least four years to develop. And yet, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a remarkable story to reflect on how these vaccines came to be. But gosh, it just seems like a shame that after that has happened, then we could really be thankful for that, that there are so many people who are still not getting it. But what I would say is there's all sorts of reasons people aren't taking the vaccine. But if the reason is that you're afraid of, you know, side effects, or it was rushed, or all those types of things, know now that 4 billion doses have been given of this vaccine around the world. And at the same time, we know that if you are vaccinated, you have a 99.99% chance of not ending up hospitalized yeah. or, or dying from this disease. yeah. The scientists that I talked to called it the moonshot when they first described this, and scientists usually are pretty reserved folks.
1: It's really incredible. In um, 2003, you were named one of People Magazine's Sexiest People Alive. I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, hashtag hottig was trending after my appearance <laughs> in Army of the Dead this year. Um, so sex symbol <laughs> to sex symbol. Any advice <laughs> to me on managing my new status?
2: I don't think that I would do that again. Because I think the time that you're doing it, you think, well... I'm going to get old and I'm going to get decrepit and not, you know, whatever. And then I'm going to say, hey, but at least, you know, back whenever yeah. I was a sexy guy, according to People Magazine. And then I can tell my kids. and then the, But you know what? Your kids don't care. And not only do they not care, as I learned, they're kind of embarrassed by that sort of stuff. So certainly do not like put it up in any way. Like there was a little magazine thing that we had in my closet, I will add. It wasn't like, you know, in the family room or anything, but it's never what you think it is because it's mostly mockery, a lot of bewilderment by some of my (laughs) friends, and then flat out embarrassment for my kids.
1: Your people that represent you didn't submit you for it?
2: I got a call. Someone said, would you would you do it? It was, it was a little bit sort of a little dodgy. Would you do it if selected? So I think that they don't want to have somebody selected and then not do it, which I got. And I said, yeah, I'd do it.
1: Well, People Magazine, I would happily do it. Please get in touch with my people.
2: Hey, do you want me to submit you? Yes.
1: Would you write a letter of recommendation?
2: Yep. I will talk about the TSA experience. I will talk about the sunglasses. I think you're a shoe in
1: I love it. All right, Sanjay, I've reviewed your resume and it's safe to say you're overqualified for the job of giving my listeners advice, but I'm going to use you anyway. Um, Our first question comes from a high school student.
2: Hmm. Are you ready? Yep.
1: Shannon writes, my mom wants me to become a doctor. But I really enjoy the broadcasting class I'm taking in high school right now. And I think I would like to pursue a future in entertainment slash broadcasting. How should I let her know? Um, uh, So
2: mom wants her to be a doctor and she wants to be an entertainment broadcast journalist. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean.
1: I say I get think, your own show and announce it on the airwaves.
2: <laughs> I think that, that that's it. Yeah. I don't think I would recommend anyone go out and be a doctor who doesn't want to be a doctor. No. And it's a lot of work. You know, God forbid that this high school student then comes back and says, Dr. Gupta, you were wrong. You know, I hate it. So follow your heart. And if you're passionate about things at that age, don't you think, Tig? That's a really good sign.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think passionate at any age. I was at the Tribeca Film Festival as a juror this year, and I got to host this evening where we screened a documentary about these two stand-up comedians that didn't get into comedy until their 80s. (laughs) And I'm not talking 80, 81. The guy's 87 and the woman's 89, and they are hilarious. And I just feel like it's such an example of no matter how old you are, you got to do what you're passionate about. Why please your mother and become a doctor? She'll come around. I mean, my stepfather, he wanted me to go to business school. He wanted me to be an attorney. He wanted all of these things. And now he, you know, he apologized for not being supportive all these years. And he wishes he had been. And I think that I've been successful because I've worked hard and I'm passionate about what I do. And I'm happy. I'm very happy in my career and my life. So I would say your your mother's not going to be upset if you're thriving and happy and passionate. And if she is, tell her to call me.
2: (laughs) I totally concur.
1: Shannon, you can trust my advice. I'm friends with a doctor. (laughs) It's uh, time for a break and then we'll be back with more questions. are back sanjay this next question comes to us from a listener in the united kingdom ola writes hello tig how does one successfully break off from limerence of over 10 years even while married my husband now knows about my ongoing limerence and is devastated and the one i am limerent about has been disrespectful in some ways but i'm still in love with both of them please help Sanjay, I didn't know what limerence meant, so I looked it up. Do you know what it means?
2: No. No, I was, I was okay. going to try and Google while Zooming at the same time, but I, I couldn't do I it. I kind of so.
1: saw you panic and get into <laughs> in a Google position. <laughs> so here's the definition. It's a noun, and it's the state of being obsessively infatuated with someone, usually accompanied by delusions of or a desire for an intense romantic relationship with that person. Wow. Which, to be fair, a lot of people had that for us, being (laughs) as sexy as we are.
2: I think that I think you're 100% right on that. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to be using this word now often, limerence.
1: Yeah, you got to wedge it in whenever you can. It's a good word. (laughs) Right. Um, I've been through that before, but not in a long time. I feel very thankful that, um, there's not anybody that I'm thinking about or that I wish I could be with, uh, except for who I'm with. So, um, I think that it probably opens a conversation about maybe your marriage, Sanjay?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think honesty is the best policy here. I think it's a real serious, honest, transparent conversation about the marriage. But I think you have to do it because it's painful, but you have to do it. Not doing it will make it more painful. It's like the the pain exponentially grows the longer Mm -hmm. it sort of lingers. But be sure – don't don't be like oh it was just a little limerence you know and then that's not wow, like, Well you're really deal, over is it? you're
1: really overusing that word I doctor. really
2: like that I really <laughs> like the word I I haven't googled it myself yet so I'm gonna like look into all of its derivations and other uses and yeah that is a real word right this I'm not being punked on your podcast am I
1: I don't know if you are I am too <laughs> uh, because I'm falling for it it sounds like a real word. And, you know, this person's from the UK. I feel like they, mm. you know, I always feel like they know more words than. They use words like shag. Is a
2: guy yeah, really shag.
1: shag and yeah. limerence. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> They're all sexual. <laughs> They're right yeah. They are. That person needs to talk to their spouse.
2: Yes. Don't hide that.
1: And you might have a conversation where you figure something out about yourself and you can move on from this limerence. You know, it, it might even it might not even be a conversation where you talk with your spouse and then you realize you have to part ways. It might just be that the conversation opens up the problem area that that you're having that's distracting you and you can tackle that. Yeah. So, Ola, best of luck with your limerence now that we know what that is. so.
2: And thank you for teaching us that word.
1: Yeah. Sanjay, this one comes from one of your future colleagues Single in Scrubs writes, (laughs) I'm a perpetually single lesbian in her late 20s and a doctor in training. I came out in the middle of a super busy time in my life in med school, and now I'm even busier, Mm. working 80 hours a week as a resident. I really want the companionship of a committed relationship, and I've dated here and there, but I feel like my unpredictable schedule and lack of experience in relationships Honestly makes me a pretty lousy partner. How can I show the girl I just started seeing that i 'm committed to being a good partner when my job demands so much of my time and energy? Whew. did you run into that?
2: Yeah, after med school, I did seven years of training and I did a year of fellowship and uh-huh. you know it 's a hundred hours a week some of these years it 's just very challenging to have friends. Let alone relationships. Yeah, you know it's just very hard to make plans. Uh, so you know I would not sugarcoat what this person is asking at all. On the other hand, when I found the right person, and it was maybe later in life, I was in my mid thirties when um, you know we finally sort of settled down and things like that. But uh, I think you got to find you got to make sure the person is very aware of your your schedule and your life and and all that. And you probably, you know, want to spend time with this person. um, And so they see your life, uh, you know, if you're thinking about settling down, that they really understand your life. Of course, you want them to understand you, but the unpredictability of that is something that people do have to get used to, and it's not for everybody.
1: Yeah, and I think you can feel when somebody's serious and committed, even if somebody's really busy. You know, I always am amused when somebody will be interested in, in an actor and they'll say, yeah, you know, I sent them a text, but I haven't heard back, but I know they're filming a movie. and I And I know <laughs> when I'm filming a movie, I have a lot of downtime. <laughs> when I'm sitting in the makeup chair and getting my hair and makeup done or I'm in between scenes, <sighs> when somebody's into you, you can feel it, and if they know that your life is busy when you take time to spend you know the moments that you have free with this person i think that's going to mean so much and it's going to say so much yeah i wouldn't overthink it because they'll know they will know yeah
2: be careful about resenting the person in any way because of schedule and things like that. Mm-hmm. You don't want to feel guilty that you're going off to do your work that you think is important. And, you know, you don't want the person to, to make you feel that way or or to even the person's not making you feel that way, that you're allowing yourself to feel that way, because that's that seems like a prescription for problems later on.
1: hmm Yes,
2: I met my wife when i was uh in my residency, and it was a hundred hours a week and she was waiting tables and I was impoverished and so she had food and I was hungry and so that's it started off like that, <laughs> and then obviously fell in love, but also recognized what our lives are likely to be, you know, your life, single and scrubs will get easier probably once you finish your residency and all that. This will be some of the busiest times of your life. So if you can get through this now with this person, it's probably a good sign. So make sure it's the right person, power through it and, and, you know, and be honest.
1: I think whether you're really busy becoming a doctor or you're just a person in the world that's not even that busy, it's always, I think, really good and helpful to just tell this person, listen, I'm going to have a couple of busy days coming up, but on Wednesday, I have some free time and I would love to see you. <laughs> you know, if you just communicate with, here's when I'm going to be busy, here's what's going on, and and you let this person know that you're thinking about them and trying to make space to see them, I think that's going to tell everything that needs to be said. Yep. All right. Sanjay, we've reached our last listener question. Brittany writes, what do you do when someone you love gives you a really thoughtful gift, but you honestly just don't like it? Like they genuinely (sighs) tried really hard and failed. Do you gently tell them the truth or pretend to love it?
2: I mean, it would be helpful to know what we're talking about specifically here, but I'm going to go with pretend to love it. Uh Pretend to love it. Yeah, and I don't think that's duplicitous really at all, frankly, Uh because saying it's the thought that counts isn't just a a nice euphemistic thing to say. It's a really thoughtful gift, right, as the person Mm -hmm. said. So the person put a lot of thought into this. Now, they may have gotten it wrong in terms of uh-huh. what they think you like, or maybe they've tapped into something about you that maybe you don't even know. Like, you mm-hmm. know, they got you something that observing you, they think you're going to like.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I would actually take it a step further. Not only pretend to like it, but actually like it. Like, like learn to understand why they gave it to you. Like, my wife once, she, she – um, I hate – Deli sandwiches. I just, I, I don't know what it is. I don't like the idea of, I, I, I mostly don't eat meat in the first place. So like stacked meat, like that uh-huh. on bread, like ugh, I can't even, it's, <laughs> it's just, and then one time I was super hungry and she's like, I'll get us some food. And she came back with the deli sandwich and we've been married for like 15 years at this point, And I thought... Does she even know me? Right. And it's too long to get into all the reasons why she did it. But it was thoughtful and she was taking care of me and I appreciated it. Yeah. So pretend you like it and learn to like it. What do you say?
1: Yeah, I feel like I was just picturing like what if Stephanie bought me a ring that I would not pick out for myself. I would be so touched, I think. I would find it endearing and touching.
2: Yeah. By the way, you'll appreciate this. I'll just tell you really quickly, you may not know this, but the Dalai Lama, I was just going off because you're vegan, Mm
1: -hmm. he
2: doesn't eat meat. His whole thing is he won't eat anything that is sentient. But here's the thing. He doesn't Mm -hmm. eat anything that is sentient, that has a sense of Mm -hmm. itself, sentient beings. But, and this surprised me, if he goes somewhere and is offered meat, he will eat it. Mm-hmm. And I asked him why. And he said he would do that because it's the graciousness of the host. And he mm-hmm. wants to be a good guest, which I thought was really very interesting that he put that above mm-hmm. even his his sort of pretty strict abidance by not eating sentient things.
1: Well, Brittany, um, we hope that helps. And um, Sanjay, that's all of our listener questions. Uh, but I need you to stick around for a final segment we call... Come back to me later. Come back to me Come back to Come back to me later. OK. Dr. Gupta, everyone wishes they had the perfect response at the ready for certain social interactions. "Come back to me later is the segment where we make that wish come true. Here's how it works. We're going to repeat some of the excuses unvaccinated folks have said about their reason for not getting a COVID vaccine sourced from the Internet. Our job is to come up with the perfect response.
2: Okay. yep, I'll do my best.
1: Here's what the unvaccinated said. We don't know what the long term side effects are.
2: Not knowing the long-term side effects is a fair question. Mm-hmm. What we know about these vaccines is that they almost entirely turn your own body into vaccine making. So you're not changing your DNA. You're not doing anything that would cause long-term effects, doesn't affect pregnancy. Just physiologically, the way the vaccines work, they don't cause long-term impact uh, on the body.
1: Okay. We can deal with the side effects of COVID 19 and other health challenges through natural supplements and vitamin D and diet rather than vaccination and medicine.
2: You know, people have been giving this argument for a long time. I mean, going back to the 1918 flu pandemic, some of what we're going through is not new. But look, 600,000 people in the United States alone have died. And it's not that all of them were, you know, In need of supplements and healthier diets. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is a bad disease. I wish it weren't the case, but it's a bad disease. Yeah. There's always good reason to be healthy. And we know things like obesity can be a real risk factor here, but the virus doesn't care sometimes. Mm -hmm. No matter what, it can make you really sick. And in some cases you could die. So we have this wonderful supplement in this case, the vaccine that actually just teaches your body how to be even better at what it already does. I've taken it. My parents have taken it. My kids have taken it. I would recommend it to you
1: as well. I already got COVID. And just to be clear, I haven't had COVID. That was was just one of the questions. (laughs) When you've had
2: COVID, you do develop immunity. There's no question. That's kind of what the process is. You're infected and your body makes all these antibodies and other types of things that are called cells to fight off the infection. What I Have learned looking at the data, and this is emerging data, is that the type of protection you get from the vaccine is much better than that which you get from naturally acquired immunity. We know in countries around the world, there are people who were previously infected with COVID who are now getting reinfected and developing serious illness. The vaccine is just going to give you broader and more durable protection. We didn't know that for sure in the beginning. Of course, we didn't even know we'd have a vaccine. But a recent study came out that said you are basically twice as likely to become reinfected, at least from natural immunity, than with the vaccine. So even if you've had it, go ahead and still get vaccinated.
1: Yeah. Thanks for those responses, Sanjay. Hopefully um, that's helpful to some of our listeners out there having difficult conversations with loved ones. Hope so. We've reached the end of the show, and it's been such a pleasure to see you again and talk to you. Thank you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us and traveling with that huge microphone just for me. I can't even believe it.
2: It was well worth it. I'm happy that I did it. No regrets at all.
1: Do you you have anything you'd like to promote and see your career get a massive bump? By mentioning it on my podcast?
2: No, I don't want to do that at all, actually. I just mm-hmm. wanted to have this conversation with you. You know, I want to do it just for no reason other than to have this pure enjoyment of chatting with you. Yes. Really enjoyable.
1: All right. Well, it was so good to see you. Thank you again.
2: Anytime.
0: Don't
1: Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana DeLoria, and Ryan Lohr. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by Christina Lopez. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark and Elena C. Our theme music is... Friend in TIG by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham, And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman, Lily Kim, Alex Schaffert, and Lauren D. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask TIG. Don't Ask TIG is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. That's what